29 of Left Side Heavy, the podcast. I'm your host, Jevin Lefebvre, and today I welcome on a very, very special guest. He's a host slash sports anchor for Sportsnet 650 and on News 1130 here in Vancouver, Canada. He was voted the number one sports fan as the very popular and well-known green man here in Vancouver. And you can find him on Twitter giving sports bets that hit maybe roughly 50% of the time. The one and only Adam Forsythe. I really appreciate you joining me today. What an intro, my man. That is awesome. Thank you. And uh, it's more like probably like 25% of the time, but I appreciate it nonetheless. <laughs> that's the that's the world of sports betting here. I uh, I placed a few bets for the Masters, and none of them, none of them hit. A couple props. I got by Rory McIlroy missing the cut. I just threw everything on that and because he's a disaster right now, and I lost every single other bet I made. So I, yeah. I, I broke even, but only because Rory McIlroy is a disaster. Yeah, I I put a bet on Matt Wolf because he had like a lot of value, so I was like <laughs> I was like maybe he maybe it'll happen, but it couldn't have been more opposite. He got disqualified from the tournament and he was nowhere near the cut line. But it turns out he, he doesn't know how to count properly. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, how have you been doing lately through this pandemic? It's kind of starting to open up a bit here in Vancouver, but cases are rising, vaccines are kind of rolling out. But how have you been doing through this whole thing? I'm doing good. Appreciate you asking. Uh, yeah, I've been like I work like you mentioned off the top. I work for Sportsnet 650 and News 11:30, but I've been working from home since last March. Yeah, Just have a little bit of a office set up here, and haven't been in the office in over a year. So that part's a little bit weird, not seeing your coworkers, you know, face to face. You do Zoom chats and stuff like that, but yeah. it's been good. Um, yeah, I mean, over the summer, girlfriend moved in with me. I got engaged last month, so like congratulations thank you so yeah we're just kind of uh grooving along she got her vaccine so that's also a bit of a comfort and then yeah. just waiting for uh, us youngins to get ours <laughs> do you try and do as much as you can to get out of the house since you've been working at home or yeah absolutely i've uh golfed more this past calendar year than i have ever in my life even right through the winter i'm not a winter golfer i just put the clubs away and we'll pick it up in the spring but i think i've already played 20 rounds this year wow and i usually because I don't work till about noon each day, I can tee off first thing at 7 a.m. and get yeah. home in time. Just working out of the, you know, the home office. So I've been playing a lot of golf, a lot of mud balls. So I'm really starting to look forward <laughs> to some summer golf where I can yeah. actually you know, shoot some low scores. But yeah, exactly. that's pretty much what we've been doing and just kind of getting out. Um, I worked the morning shift today at the radio station and you know took the girl out for uh, nine holes of golf. It was good. Can't hate it. What are you, uh, what are you hitting usually? around this time and kind of in the summer? Uh, the last like 18 months, I've definitely played like the best golf of my life. And I got it down to a, I've been hovering between a five and a six handicap. So I'm, I'm oh, that's awesome. pretty happy with it. Maybe like two years ago, like my entire life, I've been consistently like a 10 or 11. And then I've yeah. just kind of figured it out. And uh, I learned that I'm never going to, no matter how many lessons I take, learn how to chip. So it's all about the old trusted Texas wedge. And I started putting <laughs> like 30 yards off the green in yeah. the rough, I don't care. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of actually made it work. So I'm like the, the best, like scramble golf player in the world. If I <laughs> other people, cause I just bust out the putter and smack it from hundred yeah. yards away. Adam, you're, uh, we're 150 yards out. Yeah. This is a putter range for me, boys. So, yeah. I can't, can't, hit the, can't hit the wedge today. <laughs> the second lowest round of golf I've ever had in my life was at Chambers Bay 
where the U.S. Open was held in 2014 oh, yeah. was, and it's because it's all just the entire course is a putting surface. And yeah. one of the par fives, I had like a hundred in on my third shot and putting it from a hundred yards out, eagle <laughs> greened it. Like so, <laughs> that's awesome, man. There's no rough on that course, so I love Chambers Bay for that fact that I can putt from anywhere. Yeah, I went golfing just yesterday on Sunday, and I, I just hit Golden Eagle North, and it was so backed up. You couldn't like you were waiting ten minutes on every tee box. Only got like twelve holes in. It was brutal, but yeah. You know I'm, so it's damn Aquilinis. Those yeah. Aquilinis are the golden eagle. <laughs> yeah, it's like the tee times are eight minutes apart. It's just on a busy day, there's no way of getting into a groove. But I'm not going to make that excuse because I'm not that I'm not necessarily a great golfer, but I just like getting out there in the four hours of just. What are, what are we posting if you're going out and shooting 18? I'm. Like ninety five ish on a good day. All right, nice. I want to get hundred. It starts to get a lot of more fun. Yeah, I want to. I want to get lessons for my birthday coming up, so I can kind of just fix a few things. But yeah, it's it's my long irons I have trouble with, but my short game isn't bad. My putting's okay. When my driver is good, it's decent. Maybe like two fifty ish, but. If it's not good, then I'm spraying it. I'm playing a whole different course. I'm adding like 2,000 yards onto my day. <laughs> yeah, a lot of army golf, left, right, left, right. <laughs> yeah, it's I, terrible. I have, uh, like, I'm 32, and I'm already becoming, like, an old man, which is, like, ailments galore. So part of the whole, like, again, pandemic, you, there's nothing to do. So we've been renovating my townhouse. So last week was tackling the patio, the backyard. So we got these, yeah. like, 12 by 12 paving stones they're two and a half inches thick and they are so heavy so i can't and my forearms were shot and i don't know what happened like a total frozen shoulder for like 48 hours couldn't feel it went to a physio they injected me with needles it was brutal and then i was in a tournament on sunday played king's links out in ladner and it was a four person scramble and i couldn't hit the ball off the tee because i couldn't move my shoulder so i just went to have some beers with the boys and then yeah. all i did was putt i just tried to chip and putt and that was all i was good for so it's essentially a three, three and a half man scramble for my team. I felt so bad, but man, I did not think that my athleticism days are like already starting to fail me completely because I can't lift paving stones. <laughs> oh man, it's, uh, it's getting to that time. Hey, but so in the intro, I mentioned that you were one half of the green men here in Vancouver, number one sports fan voted by ESPN. Now, how did that the whole green men thing start because you guys were like, you guys are superstars here in Vancouver and in the NHL in general, but like, how did the whole thing start? It was through the BCIT broadcast program. I, I met Ryan Sullivan, like my you know, partner in crime, Sully. And we didn't, uh, in BCIT broadcasting, if any of your listeners are kind of familiar with they just, it's like about 40 people in the, the program, they split into two sets Sully was in the other set. I I was in the other one. So we didn't actually like have that much in common for the first year of the program. And then year two, we both got placed in an internship in, in TSN in Toronto for six weeks. And we just didn't know anyone out there. I was staying with my second cousin. He was staying with like a random family he found on Craigslist. And we would just, so we'd go out to the bars and, you know, hang out at night. And we just started talking about, you know, what's, we both kind of had a similar sense of humor of like, let's embarrass our friends. That's the goal of it is like, what can yeah. we do? 
So we knew we had tickets. Like we both got, we're going to get home mid December. Why don't we go to a Seahawks game? We had these tickets with some four friends from BCIT and we're going to wear these suits and just not to entertain ourselves, but to embarrass them and direct as yeah. much attention as possible. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Sully suit didn't come in the mail in time. I was giving him hell for it because I was like, I spent like 60 bucks on this thing, which is a lot when you're 21 year old broke college student. Yeah. And he said, well, you know, my, my dad has these season tickets beside the penalty box. If you want to go for a game, we won't even tell anybody. It'll just be kind of a goof. And yeah, we went and all of a sudden, like within a couple of days, it just exploded. And we we're on every single media outlet you can think of. And we just decided to run with it and go with it and it started snowballing. This week is actually the six-year anniversary of our last Green Man game we ever went to, which is insane. It did not feel like six years ago. It was the yeah. last time I wore that suit at Rogers Arena. It feels like it. The you guys' last game was like two years ago at most. Like it, it feels like it's ended so recently. Yeah, like I. It's weird to think that like I never wore the green suit with like Ilias Pedersen on the ice or anything like that. Yeah, right? like we were still there when the Sedins were there. It was, it's weird. What what perks came with the role? Because, like, I just feel like you had to have kind of got some sort of, like, superstar treatment with the way you guys were <laughs> looked at. Yeah, uh, it was like a, a slow build. I mean, that first year was the 09-2010 season. So the Canucks were good, but they still had that thing where they couldn't get past the Blackhawks. And yeah. that's, ended up, that's what happened in the, in the playoffs that year. But that's where the playoffs kind of kicked it up because the Chicago-Vancouver rivalry was so heated and the Canucks weren't like the superstar team that was supposed to win. There was just such a rivalry that it kind of got put on the national stage and then we were at those playoff games. So it started kind of building and building. And then out of that, that summer, we started getting offers of like, you know, can we be your agent and sponsorship opportunities? And then into the 2010-2011 season when the Canucks were like the studs in the league. Yeah. And we were like all in, but yeah, going back to that 09, 2010, we kept getting asked to do like not autograph signings, but go to autograph signings that Canucks would have and then like entertain the crowd. So, you know, like kind of a peek behind the curtain is like a say, save on foods approaches uh, Ryan Kessler and says, Hey, we'll give you X amount of dollars to come and sign autographs for two hours. Kessler goes through his agent and he, they set that up. Yeah. So we did that for uh, Kessler and we did it for Trevor Linden uh, through Save oh, wow. on Foods. And we just kind of went and like, just because the crowd was like an hour long line to yeah. meet Ryan Kessler. So we just started signing autographs and taking photos and just being general jackasses. And then Ryan Kessler's uh, not player agent, the one who got to like his contract, but like the guy who does all his behind the scenes stuff. He said, Hey, like, I think I can get you guys some gigs. So we hopped on with him and ended up doing some autographs signings with Kessler like probably three or four of them. And all of a sudden he's like, yeah, I can get you this gig and this gig and it just steamrolled. So, and by the end of it, we had done sponsorships with Subway, Pepsi, Gatorade, 7-Eleven. Um, yeah, there were so many. And like, yeah, it, there was some good money attached to it, but also we were paying for those seats. Yeah. And each we went to this ticket for $300 each. Ooh. So like, justify it we had to come up with some sort of thing so yeah, yeah we did a couple of weddings we did a couple of bar mitzvahs like wow. just any <laughs> we set a price and we set it out we put it on our facebook page like if it, it was expensive if you wanted to hire us but here's what it costs and it was like our pitch was you can have both of us for the price of finn so you get two or you can get finn the mascot yeah so we, <laughs> i believe that finn was a little pissed that we were encroaching on his territory oh that's uh, amazing 
yeah man it was it was fun uh and then we were just the early 20s so we just had we rolled with it like every saturday i was either at a bar that had paid us to be there in the green seats just taking photos uh, there's an old one called Joseph's uh, Joe's apartment. It was on Granville. It doesn't even exist anymore. And after every Canuck game, they pay us to come for an hour after the game and just hang on, take photos. And that paid for our ticket that night. Um, the Seven Eleven deal, we partnered up with Gatorade and they made a green apple, green man Gatorade. And it was like, exclusive to Vancouver for the entire summer. And every Saturday morning, we'd go to different 7-Elevens around the city and do autograph signings. It's just, it's so weird that like people would show up to get a photo of like these two assholes. <laughs> 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 it was fun like, that's yeah, amazing which uh which one were you were you the one doing the backwards handstands feet up against the glass or were you the guy that was dressed up in a costume kind of just pointing at the signs and stuff that was usually me and uh it's twofold i i have my go-to excuses as to why that is uh i'll go with the most honest answer first and that is because sully is like just has the world's best metabolism. The kid is a stick. He's <laughs> way shorter than me. I think he's like five, seven, 140 pounds. So he's just so agile. He's like a freaking spider monkey. And then <laughs> I'm a bigger guy. And if I even look at a hamburger, I gain 10 pounds. So he's just super agile. I'm going upside down. And then up against the glass, you just have more um, room to work. You have more foot room because there's like the dasher, a little bit of space, and then the seats. Yeah. I had like, I was in a tiny little phone booth. And meanwhile, he could use like, the corner of the glass to get up. Yeah. So I do a lot of times, I think I tried a couple of times to like do a handstand and it failed miserably. I'm like, I'm going to break my neck on national television. Yeah. I just usually like looked at him like, all right, yeah, I'll just point at you and you do all the movements. <laughs> well, kind of awesome. him, a couple of times he like, he landed hard and hurt himself. So I was, yeah. I was completely fine just to be the guy who kind of came up with all the creative signs and pointed. Yeah. I was, I was watching the couple and I saw that like he had his feet pressed up and then he slowly just started falling forward and then he couldn't quite catch it in time and everyone would just watch him like kind of eat it right off the glass <laughs> and you just kind of like snapped your head down. <laughs> we, when the league cracked down on us touching the glass and like that was the most devastating part of Sully's. Like, I can't do <laughs> handstands anymore. This sucks. But it was, uh, yeah, we, we found out from like a couple like high place sources that, and I didn't actually know how this worked, but in the playoffs, every team that is still in it has to have their GM on like a conference call. So when it's like 16 teams left, all 16 GMs are on a, a conference call. When it gets yeah. down to eight, all, all eight. So ahead of the Canucks series against Nashville, uh, they all had a meeting. And I guess David Poyle, the Nashville GM, in front of all the other GMs, and Mike Gillis said, like, I want the Green Man banned from the building. I think it's, like, offensive and, like, it shouldn't happen. And I guess all the GMs on this conference call ahead of, like, the playoffs, like, the divisional series, they should be talking about way more important things. They all had, like, yeah. a debate amongst themselves. And Bill Daly and Gary Bettman were on the call as well. And I guess the decision they came to was that we couldn't touch the glass anymore. And that was the big thing. And the Canucks were mad about that. So the compromise was we couldn't touch the glass and they would put a security guard in the penalty box for the Nashville series. So game one against Nashville uh, was at home and we got there and there, sure enough, there's a security guard up against the glass and then where the player would take a penalty. And then every, as of the kind of a F you to Nashville, every time a Nashville player took a penalty, the Canucks shine this giant bright spotlight 
on the penalty box to like highlight <laughs> which they've never done before. So like Mike Gillis played Vine games. It was so much fun. Uh, yeah, it he was really behind cool. his guys. Yeah, he like he had our back. Which, but it's just it was so cool just to think that yeah these eight NHL general managers fighting for this daily cup and they're having like a heated discussion about what to do and should somebody be allowed to do cross handstands. That is amazing. That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> We've kind of kept that one close to the best. We've, I've told that story a few times, but not, not for wide consumption. So yeah. there you go. I'm sure you guys will appreciate that. <laughs> What's, uh, what are some of your favorite antics that you kind of, you did by the penalty box, if you can remember off the top of your head? Um, the early ones where we didn't have a plan where we just kind of like waved our hands about and like, we were trying to do like the, the people who sell like used cars and they, like the family, the wacky waving art inflatable arm tube, man. That's kind of oh, what yeah. we were going for. like no rhyme or reason, just moving our hands about. And like on video, it looked the best. And then once we couldn't do handstands anymore and we kind of had to start going into props, that's where we had like a ton of fun. And yeah, like at one point we did a cutout of Sully doing a handstand. Cause like, Oh, you can't do handstands. Well, here's a cardboard cutout. Of it. <laughs> um, the Vince Vaughn one is my favorite just because of the whole like background Chicago, of it. Yeah, Chicago series and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, he, he was a huge he's a huge Chicago guy, but he married a woman from Calgary. She was a real estate agent. So he had a lot of West Coast connections. And so we put up that Vince Vaughn cutout. And then some guy in a suit came running down. And he was like on the phone at the same time. He was like, Hey, uh, I'm, I'm talking on the phone with Vince Vaughn. He's watching the game from Chicago. He's pissed off. He doesn't want that sign up. Like he wants it gone. Uh, you got to get rid of it. Well, we're not doing it unless you pay us. He said, all right, here's $250. Okay, done. That's awesome. <laughs> and what he didn't know is that we had a backup Vince Vaughn cutout sign. So the very next panel, we just put up another sign. The guy came ripping down. He was furious. Like, they just, just screamed at me on the phone right now. So Vince Vaughn hates us. I know that for a fact. That is amazing. That's I so would love funny. To I, like, I hope I get a chance to meet him one day and just be like, hey, I'm hope, hope it's cool. <laughs> a lot of fun with them um yeah the cutouts man like the carrie underwood cutout yeah that's that's what i have uh written down here carrie underwood versus the in the nashville series mike fisher after the game said if it wasn't a playoff game you would have leaned over and kissed it which is like so that's pretty cool <laughs> that's amazing he's kind of light about it but yeah there's, uh, there's the kessler the kessler body issue yeah that was that's a good one too um, oh, that was awesome. against the sharks yeah, those cardboard cutouts were expensive because we wanted to make sure they were like durable enough. But same thing, like it was like three hundred bucks a ticket for each of us, and then those cutouts were like two hundred fifty dollars, two hundred bucks. Wow. Because yeah, like yeah, they were all etched out, and um, yeah, but we went into some depth with some of those ones. The Kessler one was good. Kessler was always so nice to us. Him and Kevin Bieksa were like him, Bieksa and Luongo all at certain points had like reached out to us and contact us and said like, they really appreciate us. At one point we were talk, talk, uh, talking with the about um, his son Cole was a huge fan and he wanted us to come to his son's birthday party. So it, it fell That's apart amazing. last night, but that, was, been, that would have been pretty cool. That's amazing. I saw one and it was Taylor Hall when he pinned his face on a donkey, like pinned the tail on the donkey. He put Taylor uh, Hall's on. <laughs> I think he was in the penalty box too. And he, I, he, took a look at it and then he just like turned away and like started wiping off his blade and stuff. <laughs> Most of the players, uh, I'd say like a third of the players would like chat with us and like they, they realized what it was. Uh, the other third were silent, which is that's the Taylor Hall category. And then the other third were like people just screamed at us or like 
told us to F off. But yeah, most of the guys tried to say, just stare straight ahead and Taylor Hall is one of them. He would not yeah. acknowledge it. Was there any players that kind of laughed about what you put up besides Mike Fisher? Yeah, oh, for sure. We had uh, some good ones with the Maple Leafs and the Avalanche, uh, the American guys. So Mike Thomas, Eric was with the, the Leafs and he was like a, like a weird, I don't know if you can't remember now if he was a healthy scratch for all the Olympics or if he didn't make the team, it was one of those two, but we were making fun of the fact that uh, Canada won the gold medal game in 2010 and he, Americans won silver. Yeah, and he's just like leaned in. He's like, "Oh, I love you guys. Like, I watch all your YouTube videos. Like, oh, we take everything back. We love you, Mike." <laughs> same thing happened in Colorado with Peter Stastny. We're like, "You lost. Crosby scored the gold medal goal. You won yeah. silver. You suck." And he's like, yeah. "Boys, we watch all your YouTube videos on our planes. Like when we travel to games." Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're on a good a few, Like really good dudes. Um, oh, another one that I was like is uh, Mike Camilleri. Yeah, that's another one I saw that he he was missing yeah. like half his grill, and <laughs> <laughs> well, they're gonna miss the the playoffs. And it was like late in the season, so we brought like a Fisher Price plastic golf club set, and <laughs> we were like pretending to putt, and we're like, "Yeah, this is gonna be you in a few weeks." He's like, "Yeah, it is. Like, this is awesome. I get to golf every day." Like, oh, <laughs> <good> point. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually living the life. Damn it, <laughs> that's the best. You have a millionaire lifestyle and you go like golf sick Arizona golf courses. <laughs> yeah, why not, right? But like were they were the ideas kind of hard to come up with, or were they pretty much find a player on the team, kind of do like a small deep dive on them, and then just how like how many days in advance did you have to prepare? Uh for the most part, for the playoffs, we were kind of planning it as it yeah, pretty much planned. During the regular season, a lot of times it would be Ryan's dad. Like, they were his company seats. So he would, like, message us at, like, say, 4 o'clock. He's like, hey, boys, like, I'm not going to give him the clients tonight. Do you want to go? So it was kind of improvised. And we'd always go to the um, Value Village on Hastings, which is, like, no disrespect to the Hastings area, but that was, like, the gnarliest of gnarly areas to go to Value Village. (laughs) And we would always find, like, the weirdest, like, clothing items. And that's where we got 90% of our props from late in the Green Man days, was just going to Value Village, like, an hour before puck drop and just spur of the moment trying to find stuff. So yeah, that's kind of where we got most of our ideas. And then the cardboard cutouts would take two or three days to prep. So those were the ones that took time, but yeah. we always had a thing like targeting specific players. Uh, the one that Patrick Kane, when he got arrested in Buffalo for like, he beat up a cabbie for the cabbie shorted him 10 cents and change. Yeah. So we always carried around a bag of dimes when we played Chicago in case he took a penalty, we were just going to like make it rain dimes and he never took a penalty. So every game against Chicago, I'd go to the bank and get a couple rolls of dimes and I never <laughs> was able to use it. And there'd just be dimes littered around our seats by the end of the game. So yeah, I sure must wonder what the hell was going on when they were cleaning yeah, up. That's amazing. So can I flip what, it on you? Can I flip it on you? Because like obviously you're a massive Canucks fan. So yeah. growing up watching us, where like was there anyone like what was your reaction the first time you saw us on TV? I loved it. I yeah not one part of me didn't like it my mom's very proper yeah like she's not like like i don't want to say proper but she's very old school with um fans and respect and the whole like what you're supposed to be like you're supposed to respect your opponents kind of thing and she like didn't like it for a bit 
there's times where she's like, oh, just stop. And I was like, no, nah, keep it going. Like, we need, like, this is how you get, like, national status, like, across the league. You need to stand out in some way. And these guys are, like, bringing, putting Canucks on the map. You guys were, like, making headlines every game. They were like, all right, what you guys had, like, segments on SportsCenter. Like, yeah. You guys, I, I loved every minute of it. Every minute of it. But, uh... What kind of made you guys turn it in? Like, how did you know when to kind of stop? Um, it was kind of a mix where we were starting to get too closely tied with the Canucks as like an organization. Like we always made it very clear that we weren't with the Canucks. The Canucks were not paying us. The Canucks never gave us tickets. So that way we could kind of do our own thing and we could push the boundaries and do some risky things and get a little bit of trouble. And then the Canucks, wouldn't get in trouble from the league because we were two separate things, but it kind of got, we were so closely tied to them. The fans started to believe that we were with the Canucks. So if the Canucks made a trade that the fans didn't like the easiest like point of access to like voice their frustrations was us. So they started like would tweet us random things like, why were you guys not at the game last night? It's your fault. We lost and stuff. And like, this is when when John Tortorella came in too. So like, it was kind of a weird era where there was like kind of an angry aura around the team. I think everyone had realized they weren't going to win the Stanley Cup. Gillis was gone. Vigneault was gone. And there was kind of this weird shift. Like, Willie Desjardins was in there. And, like, there was just kind of, like, a weird aimlessness to it. And so we'd go to a game. The Canucks would lose. And then fans would want autographs and take photos. And 95% of the fans were, like, so respectful and awesome. But then you get these, like, drunk idiots who, after a 5-1 loss, like, it's your fault the Canucks lost tonight. And you go in and tell – Jim Benning, he screwed this team up. I was like, well, that's not how it works. Like, I don't know them yeah. personally. I don't talk to them. I don't have access to them. So after a couple of, like, weird encounters in the concourse after the game, we're like, ah, it just started kind of getting eh. – and then at that point, too, like, we were trying to get our careers going. We both had got out of broadcasting school and were working in the business. And, um, yeah, it just kind of became clear that the Canucks, like, we're never going to make the playoffs for a couple of years – and anytime we'd go, it was kind of a risk. Like, it's really hard to mock an opponent when you're down 4 nothing on the scoreboard, right? Like, it's not – it kind of takes away from the fun. So, we had a good run. I mean, we did it five and a half years. And, uh, I yeah, I, I really liked it. So, I'm glad we did it. Uh, obviously, it was like changed my life. But it was like the right time to walk away. Uh, I'm also really happy how we structured it, where we announced at the beginning of the season that we were going to retire, retire at the end. It sounds so – <laughs> so like, cocky but we announced the five games we were going to go to and the Canucks were on board with that so then you could kind of like oh you want to see the green men for the last time come to this game yeah and then the whl and the bchl approached us about doing a retirement tour all over the province and that was the best part of it all was every weekend from like january till march on friday i'd get off work i'd go straight to the south terminal yvr with sully we'd hop on a plane and go somewhere in bc and it was all taken care of. We'd go to, you know, Cranbrook or Kelowna, wherever, and we'd get to do a ceremonial opening face-off and hang out in the city and uh, get jerseys from each of the teams and meet fans, like, that you would never meet, right? You go up to Cranbrook or Prince George and go to a game, and that was the best part of it. So that was kind of a cherry on top. It was a nice fitting way to go out is, like, realize – the, the small town fans who aren't like super egotistical about the Canucks thinking they're the best when you go to a Prince George Cougars game and you get back to the basics of having like a seven-year-old boy who loves hockey come up and ask for an autograph. That was what I loved. So that was the kind of the best part of 
once we did that a few times, I realized, like, okay, we made the right decision. Like, I don't want to go to the Canucks games anymore. I'd happily go to like a Surrey Eagles game and just hang out with the people. Yeah. It, there's not like a whole ton of pressure on you anymore when you do that. You're not held to like this status anymore at a Canucks game and you're not getting blamed for every sort of loss. You're not, you don't have a yeah. responsibility of mocking anyone at the box. You're just kind of like, you're kind of there just to be people at a game. Yeah. People and hearing their stories and people are excited to meet us. We're excited to meet them. Uh, the ceremonial face-offs, like looking back at those teams, that was the year the Kelowna Rockets were stacked. And so we did three or four like ceremonial face-offs and uh, one of them is now the newest Canuck. So it was the Kootenai Ice versus the Kelowna Rockets and it was um, Sam Reinhart and Madison Bowie. And we got to do the ceremonial face-off and they both could not have cared less. They were so angry they had to do this face-off <laughs> with these two green men and we wore like suit jackets. We took it so seriously. Oh. <laughs> We had a blast of that. And then like Leon Dreisler was on that Kelowna Rockets team. So like you started to get to know those players because we were always around these small rinks. So that yeah. was a lot of fun. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm so happy you guys like actually did that. But I wanted to touch on, but first of all, before we move on, thank you for your service. <laughs> I bow to you. You, yeah, you brought so much joy to Canucks hockey for like so many years. But it was a very sad day or a sad year when it was all coming to an end. But you know, it can't nothing can last forever, as that cliche is. But uh, moving on to the Masters, Hideki Matsuyama, first Japanese player to put on the green jacket. It's his first major. How like how important is this for the game of golf to have Hideki? Um, finally pulling out. I think it's huge. It's going to have a ripple effect for the next couple decades. I think that I can't say this is like my own original thought because I saw it as a tweet, but uh, look what Mike Weirswin did to Canadian golf, right? Oh, yeah. You and I grew up in the kind of the aftermath of that where all of a sudden it became golf became like an accessible thing for you and I to play. So I think right now in Japan, apparently, like I'm not well versed in this, but he it's very much like an elite sport and the public can only go to driving ranges. They can't get on golf courses. So I think that kind of will shift now where they're going to start making these public courses and they're going to kind of, um, yeah, just make it more accessible and more public for people. So it, sh we won't see the, the effects of it immediately, but like, I bet kind of what you see in the LPGA where all these like Korean women golfers are dominating now, yeah. that's just going to happen maybe say 10, 15 years down the line. Uh, and then I don't know, did you catch it today that he's still like super humble, no private jet. He took a public, he flew commercial today. So That's he flew unreal. from Georgia to Chicago to Tokyo. And he just was like walking through O'Hare airport with his green jacket. You can take a peep day if you want. And he's like, no, no, I got my crew. We're going to fly commercial. That's amazing. I, yeah, they're always just so like, he's so private. He doesn't, speak out to the media as much you know it's obviously a lot harder because of a translator and stuff but he's very private he doesn't put himself out there as much and i mean that's just like kind of what i can expect from a guy who's as private as he is but i mean what a performance he had especially that back nine on saturday after the delay but it was ridiculous. yeah what was he like seven under on the back nine so he just 
he made it and it was so he was it was like quiet I, like yeah. maybe that kind of fits into his personality but like it just kind of happened like no one was really like oh what like matsuyama is now leading by four um, <laughs> yeah like, i'm very happy he won um but it kind of made for like a not the kind of a boring bat nine on the sunday like yeah shocking yeah. made it interesting until he dunked it on 16 and you know matsuyama came back a little bit in the field because he was just playing conservative but uh, it was kind of a foregone conclusion he was going to win. So in that sense, it was kind of uh, meh masters. But yeah, it's pretty cool. He finally broke through. I mean, he has the history there, right? He was the low amateur in 2011 when he was yeah. like 18 years old. So he he knows the course well. And I think like golf experts and pundits for the most part are pretty good about kind of having a vague sense of what's going to happen. I don't think really anybody picked him. Like he, he was kind of yeah. in that like 35 to one spot and, he just went untouched and I, I didn't have a sniff of him doing well either. I, I was nowhere near it. I don't know about you, but yeah, I, I've always think of Matsuyama like a just outside the top five of like of majors. He's like, he's kind of, he's in the mix. He gets a decent purse at the end of it, but he can never just like pull ahead. He always has some sort like one, bad hole or a couple bad holes and it just like slightly puts him out of contention and then he just he can't pull it away so i'm really happy that he finally locked down and was able to put himself in a position where on the 18th he went into the bunker and then two putt and he still won by a stroke oftentimes when you're put in that situation you're like you have to crack down and at least get this close in one putt to really seal it but he just all he put himself in a position where he could afford to two putt and still take it home i think yeah the when he at one point he was up like six strokes i mean when they were yeah. like still in the nine and i think that was the cushion he needed where yeah. he knew he could afford to make some mistakes because like you said he doesn't he hasn't quite like sealed the deal in a lot of situations so uh do you think that is this like a start of something like will he win more majors I think he will win more majors. I I think he's got a couple more in him, to be honest, because he's always been a very solid golfer. He's been super consistent. And I think this was like, this gave him the confidence that he needed. You know, the Masters is a very, it's probably the most polarizing major. Right. You know, every, you're not like winning like a huge trophy, but like the green jacket, that's just, you know, you're one of the few, right? So I think this will really boost his confidence. And I think he's got, like, how old is he? Like, late 20s or early 30s? Yeah, like, he's still, so, he's still young. Yeah, so I think he's got a long time to go to, like, bring home, like, a few. He's just, and he's got that slow, deliberate swing where he's, like, yeah. not going to be, like, Bryson, where you're going to have back issues by the time he's, like, 35. Yeah. Yeah, and like he pauses at the top and then fast downswing and then puts it close. But one thing about the lead that he gave himself, that shot on 15 when he bounced it off the green into the water, like he was able to maybe go for that, but it was also like a little too close for comfort because Xander was making a push. And if it wasn't for that dunk on 16, then it might be a different ending. I can't believe Xander did that. Yeah. Like, I, I stunned. 
stunned. Like 16 is kind of that pin location that they do on Sunday too. Like, I don't even know how the water was in play on that shot. He ugh, feel bad for the guy. Cause he's so talented and he just, I know. he does that every single time. Um, did you, what did, did you catch DJ just pretty much bouncing the second he put the jacket on to deck you see how much? Oh yeah. He, he was out. <laughs> he, he wanted nothing to do with it. He was gone. Everyone's trying to figure out if he, when he missed the cut, did he go home and then fly back or did he stay in it, like kick it around for two days? Because uh, apparently he played around a golf on the weekend. Okay. Yeah. I think, so I think he stayed. But I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he did a quick PJ back, spend <laughs> spend the night in Jupiter, have a glass of wine on his lakefront property, and then just PJ back. But. I mean, it's so, it must be so tough to like put the green jacket on someone after missing the cut. Like, not even like being in contention on the weekend, because at least you got the weekend to play two more days at Augusta. You just, you missed the cut. And I just feel like that's so tough to like put the green jacket on someone else after a very tough weekend. Oh, it must be brutal. Uh, was the year Sergio won, and then the next year that on the Thursday he took like a, it's like a 12 on the holy yeah. product. It's like you're out four holes into the weekend. You know, you have to stick around until Sunday afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> so tough. The... I got to get there. Yeah. I want to go to Augusta so badly. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Me too. It's so nice, man. But one golfer I want to point out Zalatoris finishes second, nine under. Looks like uh, the whole weekend thing was. Uh, happy Gilmore's caddy. Did you see that he got it engraved on his 60 degree? It was awesome. Yeah. I yeah. just totally embraced it. Adam Sandler tweeted him yesterday. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was pretty cool. I, I, I'm very much of the belief just following the trends that like, uh, people who make their master's debuts do not play well. And him and Robert McIntyre completely proved that wrong this week. Yeah. So like, that theory kind of goes to the window. So yeah, he was calm and cool under pressure. The weirdest thing I saw though, is he, even though he's new to the tour, he's older than Colin Morikawa. I know it's, it's kind of weird how that happens. Hey? Yeah. But yeah, he's, uh, he's definitely going to be racking up some wins soon. He's just calm and poised and he's fun. He's got a good personality. The other one, did you see that uh, someone said, Oh, you look like Owen Wilson. Just like, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, in the presser, that was awesome. He's bringing personality to the game without being like Bryson, where he's an absolute psychopath. He's he's bringing like a sense of humor and a side where he can like take a joke here and there, and he's not afraid to show it. Golf needs that, especially when you're, especially when you're going along with a persona like Happy Gilmore's caddy. You can kind of like take it, and it's it's amazing because he's. 165 he's an absolute pencil but he's like i think it was like top five in like driving distance with like 307 yards that's absurd like he's striping they like him uh jt and rory are all so slight and they just have so much torque yeah they're not like they're not like bracing where they're throwing their back out it's just like they're letting the club do the work and they're just getting their hips around and like 
it's frustrating because I go launch a ball <laughs> with a lot of weight behind me and it's like, all right, well, that was fun, but it's not. <laughs> yeah. Man, like the fact that they can carry the ball 300 now, it's just. It's absurd. But Jordan Spieth got really close. He's coming off that Texas Valero weekend. Where he finished T3-7 under. He was never really in control, but it's really good to see Spieth like, have a weekend where even when he wasn't on his game, he was three, three shots back of like pushing the Masters to a playoff or even winning it. Oh, definitely. Yeah, you can tell it's started even before the Valero where he just kind of found his stroke again and like he just is confidence is everything in golf right yeah. and he finally kind of fixed it and uh his caddy is so important to his game and they're back on like a good working relationship and uh, yeah I mean I'm a huge speed guy like again because like Chambers Bay, just being able to have kind of like a connection to that course where it's, I can go well when the borders were open you can go down a couple hour drive and play it and the fact that he won there and you can go and see like the, the plaque on the 18th hole where he hit his three wood from and you try to replicate it. So like you kind of feel like there's a sense of like, okay, I, I can really picture what he was going through. So that just made me a lifelong fan. And so these struggles the last few years were like, man, you hope he can get it back. And now he clearly is. So hopefully he stays in contention. He's kind of found his groove. Um, when you struggle like on a, a Sunday of the masters, it, obviously can do a bit of uh, like a a little punch to the gut, but I think he now has like the mental fortitude to get past it. And hopefully he can kind of stay in this top five. You mentioned Matsuyama, just maybe outside the top five. If Spieth can cement himself in that, that top five conversation year after year, because there's another young guy who has plenty of time left in his career and has the skill set to like make it happen. He just has to make sure that things don't fall apart on him. Yeah, it's absurd that he won those three majors at 23, and then he was he had a tough, like, three years, and everyone's like, is Jordan Spieth going to regain his confidence? Like, he's 26 years old. He has, like, another 15 years of this. And with the way he plays, he, like, he doesn't play like a Bryson where he's going to throw his back out early. It's just he just needs to get that mentality straight. And his confidence back up, and he's going to have like a really successful career because he's so young. So, yeah. I mean, I I can only see a bright future with Spieth, but uh, that's the Masters. Congratulations again to Hideki Matsuyama. And moving on to the NHL, and today, as we are recording on Monday, was the NHL trade deadline. And before we kind of get into the nitty-gritty of the trades, I want to start off with a little bit of a Canuck segment. And we'll just kind of touch on some pointers here. But they plan to reopen their practice facilities on Sunday until Jay Beagle is added to the COVID protocol list. And how, like, is this going to impact the rest of the season? Because there's been a lot of news going in and out of Vancouver. There's a lot of rumors being talked about. There's they have to play 19 games in 31 days. It's just it's absolutely absurd. They had 25 total positives, four coaches, 21 players. Like what's to come for the rest of the season with the Canucks because it's absolutely a gong show right now. <laughs> gong show is the exact way you would describe it. Yeah. Uh yeah, it's 
weird. Like I, I'm stunned they're playing. Like it just doesn't, it's just putting everybody at risk. Yeah. It's putting the users at risk. It's putting their health at risk. It's like you go on and on and on. Yeah. Like you said, 19 and 31 is just ridiculous. I was talking to the play-by-play guy for the Canucks on the radio side, Brendan Batcher yesterday. And like he said, he's going to be tired after calling 19 and 31. He's yeah. No kidding. He's going to have no uh, voice by game seven. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's tough. Travis Hammond, it came off the COVID protocol list today. So uh, things are trending in the right direction, but there are some like reports kicking around that a bunch of the players are still, you know, feeling the effects of it, even if they're not COVID positive, like there's the fatigue factor. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I just don't, it's just such an unfair situation for the players. It's an unfair situation for Travis green, who uh, they talked about him feeling better, but he apparently had some pretty severe symptoms and then he's going into the final 19 games of the season if they play them without a contract for next year. And he, yeah. they're in a bad spot where they're going to get destroyed. Like there's some free gambling advice for you bet against the Canucks. Like the odds will suck, but I don't imagine how they can play. Uh, the only positive really you can maybe take away from it is you're going to see some of these youngsters get their shot, but it's even putting them in a really unfair situation. Yeah. Uh, with Jordy Bentley moved today, like Oli Ulevi's going to play every game the rest of the way. Cole Lind is definitely going to play some yeah. games. He's already in Vancouver. Um, the guys they brought in today, the Matthew Highmore and Madison Bowie, like they'll play a bunch and maybe you can find out if there's something there. Uh, you might even see like the Chatfields and the Guillaume Breezeballs get some action. So at least you will get a very good sample size of will these guys be able to play in the NHL. But at the same time, they're getting thrown to the Wolves. Uh, yeah. The good thing is they got four games against Ottawa. So at least like, it can maybe have a- some rookie rookie matchups. Yeah, AHL versus AHL. Yeah, so <laughs> it, it's really tough. Uh, I I completely understand the rumors that some players have complete like they don't want to play, and I I totally get that. Why would uh, you? Like, why would yeah. you want to play? It it doesn't make sense. Canucks aren't in contention. They shouldn't even want to have the urge to be in contention. We obviously weren't buyers today which thank God, I mean, there's still some questionable trades that I don't, I still think Benning should go. This just even adds to that. But like, why would you want to play? There's just no point. Like players like Hughes, Pedersen's like, I don't want to come back. Like just put me on LTIR and just like keep me out for the rest of the season because there's no point in him coming back. Like, yeah, it's just... It's a very tough spot for players right now. Uh, the Pedersen one too, yeah. Like, why not just sit him out, let him heal yeah. up? Jay yeah. Beagle, another guy. Like, Jay Beagle's not really contributing anyways, but like, put him on the injured list and just yeah. keep him, mark him. Uh, yeah, uh, it's kind of, and they're not making like they're not making the playoffs. The Flames aren't making the playoffs. Like, the Sens aren't making the playoffs. Those three teams, and now they have to play each other a bunch for pride, I guess. Yeah, uh, it, it's an it's not literally just for just for the draft lottery is what they're playing for. It is. It's all, it's um revenue. Teams have to yeah. fulfill a amount of games so that like the Sportsnet makes sure they get paid. The sense yeah. through bill, the bell has to get paid. There's small little like behind the scenes stuff like that, but for the most part, I mean, I totally understand why a lot of the Canucks are not happy about it. I it's been like a he said, she said battle going on with the, the Canucks reporters today of whether Godet was traded because he was patient zero and the backlash in the Canucks room. And we'll be very curious to find out 
where that falls like a week from now what is the truth like are the players yeah. were the players in management actually pissed at him or were they not um ian mcintyre said that's not the case matt sakaris today said that absolutely is the case so the i'm sure that you know there's three sides to everything right the truth the, the lies and what's in between yeah because that godet trade came out of nowhere i was not expecting him to be moved because i he was one of my more favorite Canuck prospects. And my theory was that he's going to be a little bit more expensive because he's proved that he can produce if given some ice time and like a heavier role. And maybe that'll affect like Pedersen and Hughes down the road for like cap room. So maybe we'll just get rid of him for like a lower prospect. That'll be cheaper. That was my theory. But I mean, if the morale sucks towards Godet because he was patient zero, then I mean, Anything's possible, I guess, but Benning's saying like we expected more from him this year and we thought he'd take another step in the right direction. It's like, well, you've actually given him less ice time this year. Yeah. Like two minutes again. So it it's it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. But one a couple things happened, extensions were put out just quickly. Demco signed a five-year, $25 million extension with the 5 mil AAV. This is going to be an absolute bargain, and he's going to be one of the more underpaid goalies like within the next couple of years because he's already proved that $5 million a year, and he's going to be... like If you look at Bobrovsky and you look at Demko, and Bobrovsky's making twice his AAV, and the numbers and even the team in front of him, it's why you shouldn't spend double digits on a goalie a year. Cause like, just look at how Demko's been playing. He's been playing lights out. Um, I like that. Uh, you're not quite old enough to have been burned repeatedly year by year by year by the Canucks. <laughs> We're like, I'm now expecting the worst and everything. And I like Demko's contract to a certain extent, but like the pessimist in me is, played less than 70 NHL games in his career and he had one successful playoff run, which goalies can get hot. And I hope like, like you said, I, I think it will, I hope it will, but there's always like the, the devil on my shoulders. Like, no, it's going to crash and burn. It's another like, yeah, uh, Fair enough. but I, I think, I, I think it's, did you, you might've just mentioned it. He'll, it's like the 13th highest cap hit of all starting goalies next season, I believe. So that's, it's kind of like in that area of, all right, he deserves it. 13 kind of makes sense. Um, people quickly forgot his early season struggles this year. Cause he played so well in early March, but like January, he wasn't very good. There's a reason him and Holby were splitting time. So I hope we see like bubble Demko and March Demko all the way through. And if we see February, January Demko, it could get a little dicey. But yeah, the way the, the market's trending for goalies, $5 million is very reasonable no matter what. And yeah. I, I'm very comfortable riding with him. He's got a good – he's in a good headspace. Like, he is a good person, which I think is such an underrated value in the locker room. He's a well-spoken young man, and he – you know, he's a, he's a good guy. So, like, that carries itself in, you know, as well. Um, so, yeah, I, overall, I like the deal. I just – I've seen so many connect deals crash and burn like this that it, oh, I'm fair a little bit nervous. It's the Canucks effect. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
quickly, this one was a pretty controversial one. Pearson signs a three-year, $9.75 million contract, three and a quarter a year. This one, I see both sides of the tape because since he's come to Vancouver, he had that one good year, 45 points in 69 games. This year, he's not doing so well. But, I mean, like, it's been a very weird year. And not a lot of players have been underperforming. And he's been kind of battling injury here and there. What are I think we should have traded him or tried to trade him for assets. But I also think he's earned a contract extension because he's played well here. I think he's peaked. I don't think we're going to get the best of Tanner Pearson for the years to come. But I think three $3 million is around what he's worth maybe a bit less but what are your what are your thoughts on this Pearson contract quickly yeah I'm kind of in line with you on that one uh in terms of I think that they just kept saying how much he wanted to come back to Vancouver if that was the case why wouldn't you trade him and try to re-sign him in the in the summer at least gain some assets for him because based on the market I think maybe you could have got like a second rounder, even a third at that point. And like these final 19 games don't mean anything. He's already dealing with injuries. Just let him go. Uh, the cost, I kind of actually changed my mind a little bit t- based on today's trade deadline because we saw the deals that Scott Lawton signed and Alex Iafalo uh, 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 signed with the Kings. And those two deals, they're all kind of in the same vein of player uh, Lawton's a bit of a grittier kind of guy. Like he's like a third line center, but those guys got more money than Pearson did. Yeah. And so, um, I guess Lawton got term over he, his was 3 million, uh, but I follow got four, but it's all kind of in the that same range. So I, that made me feel a bit better about Pearson's deal. But when you look at the Canucks salary cap situation, Benning kept saying on Sportsnet 650 this week and he was challenged by it. He goes, well, you guys don't know what I know. Like, well, what does that mean? What, what <laughs> I would love to know. And the only thing that like we could kind of come to the conclusion is they must have some sort of handshake deal with Louis Erickson that after July 1st, he gets a signing bonus. And then I think he's only owed $3 million cash. So he, they probably said like, we're going to bury you in the minors or you can retire once you get your signing bonus. Then that frees up. X amount of dollars on the salary. Yeah. That's the only thing like, that logically makes sense as to why they could slide Pearson in because yeah, at this point you need every single penny to make sure you can get Hughes and Pedersen comfortable under the cap because yeah, like the, the, the Demko deal is fair, but then between him and Pearson, you're at eight plus and it gets real tight real quick. Um, I also think maybe as you mentioned, the Godet move maybe in line for a raise. So you bring in this Matthew Highmore kid who, I don't really know a lot about, but he's only making just above 700,000. Same with yeah. Madison Bowie signed for next year. So those two, uh, there's little like hints of what they're trying to do, but we just don't see the grand picture. And because it's betting, there's no trust there, understandably. So we don't know if he's just winging it or he actually does have a plan or if he thinks he has a plan. Um, so yeah, the Pearson one's interesting. I would have let him go. I think that you need to, especially with guys like Vasily Pot Colson coming in. Yeah. It's, is Pod Colson now expected to be in the bottom six next year if he plays? Because all of a sudden the top six looks extremely crowded, and I don't think Pearson has the defensive skill set to be a bottom six guy. So. Yeah, it'll be interesting, interesting to see. Uh, NHL trade deadline. It kind of lived, like semi lived up to ex- expectations, but there's a couple big moves. 
And we'll start off with the biggest one of all. Taylor Hall and Curtis Lazar go to the Boston Bruins for Anders Bjork and a second-round pick back to Buffalo. Buffalo retains 50% of Taylor Hall's salary. The Boston Bruins was not a team I was expecting for him to go to, but I think it was because of the cap. But Boston, but, sorry, but Buffalo retaining 50%, it makes a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. See, I've always graded Hall as a good player, but overrated. I think he's he had that one spectacular year in 17-18 when he won the heart with New Jersey. But ever since then, he's been held to this standard where he's still the MVP caliber player he was. But whenever, wherever he's gone, he hasn't been able to live up to that. And that's why he's been on five teams in... <laughs> yeah. Or like four teams in four years. Like, there's a reason. So I think he's a little bit overrated. I still think he's a good player. And, like, if he signed for Vancouver for, like, a decent contract, I'd bring him in. But I don't think he's the player everyone holds him to. But what are your makes of this Hall trade? Yeah, the trade was interesting. He gave pretty good insight today saying he essentially forced the move because he has the no movement clause. So he kind of could dictate where he wanted to go. Yeah. So that explains why the return wasn't maybe what we thought it was going to be. When you see that guys like David Savard and Nick Foligno getting going for first round picks. Yeah. The fact that Hall went for uh, a second and Bjork and they retained salary. But when Buff, like Kevin Adams hands, it kind of sounded like they were tied a little bit and Hall wanted to go to Boston. And he's already said that he would be very open to contract Austin. Yeah. Beyond this season. And you mentioned it. He's a great player but maybe he's not the foundational player and that's where he might fit in boston i always thought he's gonna to go to the avalanche because yeah both the situations you could slide in and be the stud on the second line or the islanders the, another one right you go yeah. in behind Barzell on that line and then you get the benefit of having to play you don't get the top d pairing you get yeah. all in the second, so then the your chances go up even more and it builds so if you're playing behind a mckinnon or you're playing behind marchand or a pasternak all of a sudden, the opportunities are there. So I think if he sticks around in Boston, it, it definitely makes sense. And yeah, when he was brought into New Jersey, he had that one great year, but he wasn't a guy who's like, everyone, hop on my back. I'm going to take you to the promise line. Yeah. He just isn't that good. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Uh, moving on, Felino and Nosen to the Leafs, a first and a fourth in a 2021 first round pick, 2022 first. Uh, Fourth round pick is going back to, to back to Columbus and the 2021 fourth round pick to San Jose. I like this trade for the, I like this trade for the Leafs because their first is basically going to be a second this year because I do think they're going to go on a decent run this year. I think the North is theirs to lose. And Felino adds that sandpaper finish that they desperately need and he's proven that he can produce. I don't know much about this Nelson guy, but I honestly think it's a win-win for Columbus and Toronto because Columbus is obviously in a rebuild mode and they gain some draft capital, but what are your looks for the Leafs and this, yeah. like this trade in general? Uh, I, you mentioned the Blue Jackets, like getting the draft capital, like Yarmo Kekalainen did a great job getting the first for him, getting the first for Savard, um, making a, a bunch of, even like the, the Riley Nash one earlier in the week, he, they were yeah. making the right moves to kind of position themselves for, you know, like you said, stalking the cupboard of draft picks. And then the Leafs, uh, 
you know, also making moves where they can kind of shift things around. I don't even think Nosen will ever crack the lineup. That's just like yeah. a snap thing. There's a ton of injuries. Uh, and then Felino, he is like the perfect kind of gritty playoff guy you want. And everyone's just like, I saw a bunch of Leafs tweets. Like, I am so mad we didn't get Taylor Hall at that price. Like, why couldn't we get to no? You don't need a Taylor Hall in the Maple Leafs. You have those guys in like a Nylander and Tavares and Matthews yeah. and Marner. You need a guy who's like, Felino is a second line player who's going to be a third line guy on the Leafs. He's going to be their penalty kill specialist. And he's the guy who like plays like 16 minutes a night in the playoffs, grinds it out against the other top line. And Wait, he's going to be the player where you put out when you're up a goal and yeah. it's like in the last three minutes of the game and you just need like they're gonna put out like felino and the wayne train on a line and just like literally just put it deep and scrap out minutes keep it low in their zone he's not going on the team to produce like it's kind of like no. when kyle clifford got traded to them last year he's like i was brought in for a reason yeah. i didn't come in to outscore austin matthews i came in to do the dirty work. So I think that's why Felino was brought in as well same as producing. Eric Stoll to Montreal is the exact same yeah. thing. Those yeah. veteran, veteran guys who know what it takes to win and you can play them anywhere in the lineup. Exactly. A, another trade that happened earlier in the week, almost a week today, uh, Palmieri, Zajac go to the Islanders, Greer, uh, Jobst, a first and a fourth go back to New Jersey. I think it was a bit of an overpayment by New York, but also Palmieri is a consistent 25 goal scorer, kind of on the tail end of his career. But And Travis Zajac's got that veteran presence. He was on the team when they went to the finals. He's played over 1,000 games in the league. Islanders are a team that I think can make a run this year. And, yeah, I think it was kind of a win-win as well in terms for New York. But I really like the capital that the Devils got. Yeah, uh, and it sounds like both both those guys could very easily re-sign the Devils in the yeah. offseason, especially So this is kind of just a hey, go chase chase your shot, get a cup yeah. ring out of it. Uh, what did you make of? I mean, I think it's the dumbest thing. Blue Lamarillos, no beards, no long hair. So Mary uh, having to shave his awesome <laughs> beard. Yeah, I like know. A, like, looking like a grizzled vet to like a child. It was awesome. Yeah, Poor yeah it. It almost looked like that picture of like James Harden when they showed him with the beard and then without. Yeah. It's like his chin comes so much lower than I actually thought it did. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was uh it was so weird to look at, but I mean yeah, it was a little weird, but kind of a trade I really liked that kind of flew under the radar, but I think can really help is Florida acquired Sam Bennett and a six round pick in twenty twenty two for Heineman and the 2022 second round pick to Calgary. I like this trade for Florida because Bennett, he is that rough and tumble meat and potatoes player and he's produced in the playoffs and Florida, like they have all the talent in the world, but they can never get over the hump. So I really think that this trade can add some spark and energy to their team that they've desperately needed in the past years. But what are your kind of thoughts on this one? Yeah, it's, I think it, this one's like one of those rare, like it benefits both teams. Yeah. Uh, the, the prospect and the second round pick, the prospect was the second round of last year. So it's essentially two second round picks for the flames that, that works for them. They're restocking their, their prospect pool. And then Sam Bennett gets a fresh start. He goes to Florida where they, like you said, they have all the skill in the world. They don't need his goal scoring. They just need his grinded out game. 
and he's playing for Joel Quinville. And so my first thought when I heard the trade today is like, oh, he's like, he could be the next Dave Boland. Yeah, like kind of exactly. Start of NHL career, Quenville's just like, no, I'm going to make you a stud. And yeah, no, 100%. Act characteristics of like a guy who isn't expected to score, but can go into the playoffs and light it up, which is what Bennett did last year in the bubble. So yeah. I, I, I'm also a huge fan of that trade for Florida. I really like what Florida's done. Uh, a little bit worried about their goaltending when it comes to the playoffs. I don't think Drager and Bobrovsky get, quite get it done. And then losing Ekblad is also that a hurts. Goal. Yeah, that hurts a lot. But they definitely have one of the deeper lineups in the league. And no, for sure. Is like when you talk about like goats of like coaching, he's up there. Yeah, hundred percent. Uh, there's a big one that happened. But before we touch on that, Vancouver acquired Bowie in a fifth for a fourth. I like this trade because Madison Bowie is like, I think he can be like a third pairing D-man kind of thing. And Vancouver needs a little bit more D prospects and it never hurts to have them. And they, the draft swap for like, they acquired a fifth for a fourth. I don't think it's a bad acquisition for Vancouver. It's like a, if we hit on this, then huge win. But if we don't, then I mean, it's not a huge loss that we gave up but quickly on Bowie in a fifth for a fourth yeah um he so I don't I'm not a big fan of the deal because he was on waivers like three weeks ago so you could just had him for nothing and I know they tried to paint it like oh it's a fourth oh. and a fifth swap. It's, it's only a few spots it's not the biggest deal but I'm like no that's the what the Canucks need to start doing is taking advantage of those situations so yeah. I think what the reason they did that is they had to wait for the Jordy Ben trade to get completed because then they can move a body in. So I think that's why they didn't claim off on waivers originally. Uh, they bring him in because he is one of the players that they don't have to protect for the expansion draft. So that's they needed a third defenseman uh, outside of Schmidt oh. and Myers. So they had to find somebody that fit into that mold. So Bowie's under contract for next season. And so that's why they acquired him today. That's the biggest reason. Um, Benning even actually mentioned that too as one of the reasons, which is, I don't know, like a compliment to Bowie. He's like, oh, we picked you in hopes that like Seattle might take you. Uh, so that's the reason they acquired him today at that cost. It's just a protection thing of they don't want other players getting taken. Oh, I uh, see. He's had a career he's jumped around a bit. I mean, this is his fourth team, I believe now. He's Washington. Detroit, Chicago, and now Vancouver. Maybe he finds his footing. And like I said earlier, with all these injuries and COVID, he will be playing a ton down the stretch. So this might actually be huge for his career. It might be a, uh, like a reclamation project for him because he was so good when he played for the Canadian World Junior teams and he was so good when he was the Colorado Rockets captain. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't have the highest expectations for him. So if he comes in and plays 15 minutes a game and holds his own, I'm completely fine with it. Yeah. Uh, last one, quick. Uh, Mantha Verana, no, Verana Ponick, a first and a twenty twenty two second round pick is going to going to Detroit for Anthony Mantha. This one was huge and something that came totally from the clouds. I think this yeah. is an absolute like Stevie Y does it again, absolute steal for Detroit. Um, I've heard a bunch that it was a bunch of cap dumps and Verana was ex- expecting to sign for over Washington's wants and, but I mean, Detroit, I mean, take advantage of someone who's desperate to get rid of players. Like I think they absolutely want like stole 
these guys from Washington. Yeah. So I was working the, the reason I actually worked the morning shift today, cause I was the NHL, the Sportsnet 650 trade desk today. So any trade that happened, I had to hop on live on air and like break into program. It was a lot of fun. And when that trade first came out, it was Kevin Weeks, the former Canuckley. He reported yeah. that it was Mantha for panic and Verana straight up, no draft picks involved. So I, I broke that on air and I was like, all right, well, I kind of get that trade for both sides, I guess. Like Verana is skilled, uh, but I like Mantha. And then like about 15 minutes later, Drager reported that it was also for a first and second round pick. Like, whoa, that makes way more sense. Yeah. Good for TY. Uh Mantha's good, man. He he I mean, you're playing for the Red Wings and there's not a lot going on with the Red Wings. He, um, this is not the same comparable, but like you said with earlier with Taylor Hall, like he's not a first line guy and he was expected to be a first line guy with the Red Wings. Yeah. Now he can slide into a second line role. He's protected. He'll probably play with Oshi Kuznetsov, get some power play time and he'll rack up the points. He signed through 2024 at a contract of $5.7 million. So it's a reasonable, and he, I didn't realize how huge he was. He's 6'4, 235. Yeah. No, he's a big boy. He's a big boy. That's a playoff kind of style. But on the flip side, Iserman, as you mentioned, utilizing the cap space. Richard Panic was on waivers earlier this week and no one wanted him because he has, I think it's like $2.7 million for like two more years. His contract's a joke. So essentially that's why you get a first rounder out of him. Ryan is an RFA. He's going to get paid, but he kind of plays a softer style and the Capitals already have that in Kuznetsov and Backstrom. So yeah, good for Iserman, man. He's quickly building up great core and just getting more picks and yeah that was a solid deal that was definitely the best the biggest deal of the day for sure but yeah. i think it surpasses what the taylor hall deal was for me i agree um so who are your winners and losers for the whole trade deadline in the past couple of days that's that pretty on the spot good question uh well i think we'll go I can't say the Red Wings because they're arguably worse today, but I'll say Stevie Y because he's making more shrewd moves. And um, I think the market trusts him to make the right decisions. Uh, Boston for not really paying a premium for Taylor Hall and that could pay dividends down the line. Uh, I hate the Leafs. I was going to say the Leafs maybe because they, you know, they just made some death throughs, bringing in Riddick and, yeah. and, you know, but, and the former Canuck Ben Hutton, but Nah, I'm not going to give him credit for that. And I will. No, I I'm not giving him credit. I was going to say maybe the Canucks were not doing anything too stupid, but I, I, I can't say that. With yeah. I have a sleeper winner. And to me, that's Columbus. Yeah. We're getting two firsts, a fourth, a third, and a conditional seventh. I think, I mean, they're in a situation where they've always been on the. We can make the playoffs, but we also don't have enough to make a run. They need a lot more prospects, and I think the two first-round picks help a ton. I mean, they're, it, one's Tampa, one's Toronto, so they're going to be super late. But, I mean, a first is a first, and you need capital in order to build a young team and increase your chances of hitting on a prospect. So I like Columbus as a winner. And I like Chicago for getting Gaudet because I think he's a nice young center that can really do well in their system. Yeah. I think he'll be used a lot more in Chicago than in Vancouver. And yeah, I think Detroit, too, to do the, the Yanmark trade today was very underrated. Chicago yeah. getting Yanmark for a second and third was 
very sneaky. Like that's again, using a good contract. That's what I want the Canucks to do. He, they, he signed on day three of free agency last year, one year deal, reasonably cheap. The Blackhawks played him a ton on their third line, used him on a penalty kill, showcased him. And then they got a second and third round pick for him. That's what I need the Canucks to start doing as a Canucks fan. Like that's where the Blackhawks won today. Vegas acquired Yanmark from Chicago. Yes. Yeah. So I like that Chicago got the second and third round pick. Oh, oh uh, I, I thought you were saying that he got Yanmark. And I was like, oh, no. Okay. Chicago signed him early, like last year, and then used him for a year, cheap one year deal. And then they got two draft picks out of it. So they got a serviceable yeah. player for three quarters of the season and walk away with two draft picks. And I think his cap hit was like $2 million, I believe. That, that is what the Canucks should be doing. Yeah. Is there a team that you're kind of intrigued by after? Kind of see what happens? Um, not really. I think the favorites made their moves. I yeah. think the Lightning are still super stacked. And I think adding David Savard, who's probably going to immediately start playing with Victor Hedman. Um, I think the I was really intrigued by the Wild this season and what they've been doing, but they didn't do anything today. The Blues didn't do anything today. Um, the Oilers were quiet. I think they need yeah. to make maybe a bigger splash. I thought they might have, were going to maybe get Jamie Alexiak, but end up with Dmitry Kulikov. Um, I mean, we understood today was going to be a weird one for trades because of COVID and the quarantines and all that. Yeah. And yeah, overall, it's it, the favorites are the favorites. Uh, 100%. Uh, you know, it's still, I think, going to be the, there won't be too many major surprises come playoff time, I don't think. I agree. All right, Adam. So I have a little segment, a part of the show. It's called Time for the Press, where people kind of send in questions or thoughts and we kind of answer them on the fly. So this one comes from my guy, Braden Perry, from his whiny Braden account. He tests and um, gives his opinions on different sorts of wines and what they agree with. So give him a follow on Instagram at whiny Braden. All he says was Jimmy Benning has to go. And yeah. I agree. I think he's made too much of a dent in this Canucks team to really revive himself. No matter what he makes, there's too many contracts that he's butchered. And I know he drafted Hughes and Pedersen, and, but a lot of his picks kind of dropped down to him instead of making him diamonds in the rough kind of thing. So I, I think he has to go. I don't know about you. but uh, I think I definitely think he needs to go, but I also think he's not going anywhere. I think if he was given the allocation to sign Pearson and Demko to extensions already, that's an indication that he's coming back next year. Yeah. Uh, but Wiley Perry, I thought we were going to talk some wines. I was pumped for a second. You saw, I like, I leaned forward out of my chair here for a second. Let's go. I'll talk some Cabrillos. Let's let's bring it on. <laughs> I'll I'll definitely um, forward your thoughts to him because he's like he's it's just a startup account and it's really cool he posts like different on stories and uh he posts like yeah i tried this wine it goes good with this food like all that sorts of stuff it's yes wine w-i-n-e-y brayden b-r-a-y-d-e-n so i'll like kind of forward you his instagram page and stuff and i can maybe like connect you guys because he's just getting into it and it's really cool what he's doing but uh this comes from daniel slater at slater 12 thoughts on godette for um 
Highmore. We kind of talked about that earlier, so we'll kind of glance through that. And this one's a little off topic, but Hayden Barton, he sends in Trevor Lawrence isn't the best quarterback in the NFL draft this year. Changed my mind. So is he thinking? Is yeah, he I, think, he I think he's saying that he isn't yeah. the best quarterback. I think he's a Zach Wilson guy. Okay. Wilson or Fields. Uh no, I I, I got my faith in Lawrence. I yeah. think you can't you can't take the risk of not taking him number one and then having him be a stud, right? I I think Lawrence is the safest pick. I think he's got the highest floor. Maybe not necessarily the highest ceiling. Because I really like what Zach Wilson gives. And I could yeah. see like either one of them, like both having an outstanding NFL career. And I think it's kind of unfair to give any sort of comparison to both the prospects and which one's going to have a better career because you just never know what the Jets or Jaguars are going to do because I think they're the consensus one and two picks. Yeah. But I think, yeah, I th- I think Lawrence is the safer pick. You're going to really pinch yourself if he is like a 4,000 yards, like, like very like Deshaun Watson-like. So... Yeah, I think he has the highest floor, but I, I I really like both quarterbacks. I can see any one of them surpassing each other. And so yeah, I think they're going to be battling out in the future. That's I was just going to say. I think it's fun that this is such a stacked quarterback class that like this is the one where like we did the Eli Manning versus Philip Rivers throughout their entire career. Yeah. But now we're going to have three quarterbacks that are are going to be taken probably in succession, and we're just going to watch them. Yeah, you know uh, their evolutions go on and on and on. So it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, so in terms of changing your mind, Hayden, I think your opinion of having Trevor Lawrence not the best quarterback, a lot of experts like Zach Wilson over Lawrence, so you're not the only one. And I could, like, I'm very open minded when it comes to this stuff. I like hearing both opinions. I'm very media biased in terms of Lawrence because I've, but I also like the quarterbacks coming out of small colleges because they're producing with not five-star recruits so it's um no yeah it's definitely going to be exciting come draft time but adam this was super fun i really appreciate yeah i really appreciate you coming on and this is your time where you can plug anything that like where they can find you and when they can catch you on news 1130 and sports on 650 all that sorts of fun stuff so this is your time Oh, yeah. Giving you the Canucks COVID updates Monday to Friday, <laughs> noon to 6.30 on uh, Sportsnet 650, News 1130. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Tweet at me. Give me uh, your worst, best golf takes, gambling advice. I'm, I'm all here to all of it. I'm on Twitter at Adam, at Adam Forsyth. Uh, DMs are open if you guys want to talk sports behind the scenes. I'm all about it. And that's pretty much it. Appreciate you inviting me on. This is a lot of fun. Always fun to talk sports with a fellow uh, Canuck fan. And uh, Oh, yeah. yeah keep it going it's uh it's awesome to see the podcast kind of taking off yeah i know it's, it's super fun so far and yeah that's how i reached out to you i slid into your dms as the cool kids say these days but oh yeah all this hip young youngins <laughs> but you guys know where to follow me at Fave on instagram at Fave on twitter follow the podcast pages at left side heavy underscore on instagram and twitter and that's it for episode 29 and we'll see you guys next time